Welcome to the great conversation where ideas matter. Ideas shape markets, ideas change the world. There was an interesting quote uh, that I read recently in a book of fiction, and it said, ideas are bulletproof. They're more formidable than the dominance of great empires has always been the power of an idea. As those great powers rose and fell, ideas remained. That quote came from a fictitious character in a book by Jack Carr, who I have on the great conversation today. Jack, great having you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And that, uh, that was from True Believer. So that one was from 2019. And I loved writing that passage and I love creating that character. And I won't uh, talk about that exact scene too much because something happens very soon after that um, in the story that I, that I don't want to get into. But I loved writing that chapter because it allowed me to put myself in the shoes of someone who was radicalized and then uh, had a... Uh, had a stint with a terrorist organization and then uh, essentially was uh, was reformed and then was passing on those lessons to a government agency and trying to trying to help and try to make amends for his past. And then I drop a little hint about not just making amends of that past, but with a, a family member. So that was a that was, I loved writing that chapter. Well, if you study Jack Carr and you study him through the books he reads, you'll find everything from the Bible in there to Ernest Hemingway, uh, to uh, Ray Bradbury, uh, uh, to some incredible uh, ideas that formed our country, like the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, and the Bill of Rights. So just like I opened this podcast, ideas shape markets, ideas change the world. I explored your books, every one of them, through the ideas that James Reese shared with us. Um, and those went from strategies and tactics uh, to what we heard from Majid, this character in the book we just cited. Uh, so what I'd like to do, if you don't mind, is bounce off those ideas and, and how much of those ideas are meaningful to how we live in this culture in this world today. Does that sound fair? It sounds great. And it's, uh, it's something I love to do because so often today we can't just sit down and, and think with all the, especially if you're in the, the midst of maybe building a business or uh, juggling the family at the same time. And with all the inputs that, uh, that we have today, especially if oh, you can't leave that office at home because you are at work because you have that office in your pocket, you know, in a phone. So I love sitting down to write and doing, especially that passage. I'm so glad like that you, that you read that passage and that stood out to you because uh, no one else has cited that passage in all the interviews that I've done. And it's one of my, one of my favorites. Uh, and that's what I like to do is I write, I get to sit down and actually do that thinking that maybe 50 years ago, certainly 100 years ago, uh, you got to do if you were thinking about some of the larger ideas uh, of our time. So uh, that's why I love sitting down, putting everything to the side. I have a special computer that I write on that uh, is only connected to the internet, so it can do word updates, but doesn't have uh, email on it. I don't, uh, I don't do research on it. It's just for writing. Um, so I can sit down and explore some of these things that, uh, that I would like to explore, but might not get to do otherwise, just because of the busy nature of our lives today. Well, of course, of course, you open up every book with kind of a summation of your idea that later rolls out in your fiction. Um, and it, it struck me 
it struck me, this James Reese character, this James Reese character, I think people get lost sometimes in the, the Navy SEAL part of him, the sniper mm-hmm. part of him, the violence part of him. But this is a deep character. This is a character who's learned a skill set. Uh, I love one of one of the best quotes, of course, is um, slow is smooth, smooth is fast. I just love that. That's kind of like that that old adage of uh, measure uh, uh, measure twice, cut once. You know, <laughs> that's right. And I can't take credit for that one because they put they uh, they uh, say it over and over again in buds and in uh, right. the training that you do afterward. Uh, so it's <laughs> it was one passed on to me from my SEAL instructors. But here, here is a warrior who is there to defend our ideas, to defend our democracy, our societal norms, our laws, our regulations, our morals. And yet, right off the bat, the first time you meet him, those norms are being violated by the very thing he's defending. That's, That's right. huge. That's huge. Tell me about that. Tell me about the angst of that. That came from somewhere. Where did that come from? Well, that it's a it it comes from at the time sixteen years now twenty of course Afghanistan we uh, left last August but uh, at the time it came from sixteen years of watching young men and women go downrange, watching the situation deteriorate, watching uh, generals, admirals sit in front of Congress, ask for more money, more troops, more resources, telling Congress, telling their troops, telling the American people that we're making progress, we're hitting these milestones, all we need to hit the next one is just uh, just a few more resources here and uh, we're getting closer and then they fail upward. Uh, and there are very few cases of anyone being fired at those strategic levels for performance. There is one person who questioned how things were going in Afghanistan. I want to say it was 2009, and he was quietly moved aside a couple months later and replaced with someone who said the exact same things as the people before. More resources, more money, we're hitting our goals. Um, so seeing that, seeing those um, seeing the, the, same, the same politicians um, approve those budgets, uh, commit forces downrange and not understand the nature of the conflict in which we were engaged, in which they were continuing to commit U.S. forces, especially when they could have looked at the pages of history and they did not have to go all the way back to Genghis Khan. They didn't have to go back to Alexander the Great. Uh, they could have gone back to the British excursions in the 1800s and early 1900s, could have gone back to the Soviets, 79 to 89. And then they had our track record in Afghanistan from 2001 onward from which to learn. And that's their job um, that make those strategic level decisions. It's our job at the tactical level to execute and to do the job at that level. And if we had made mistakes, we're held accountable. And if we made some of those kinds of mistakes that they made at the strategic level, we would be sent home, court-martialed, never to operate again. And uh, it comes from continuing to see those senior level leaders fail upward. So it was a very therapeutic book to write, as all of them have been, but, uh, but that's really where it started for me. Well, if the best do the basics exceptionally well, another line from one of your books, Savage Son, if the best do the basics exceptionally well, we need to go back to something that can be applied to business or I'm sure um, being a great warrior. And that is studying the ecosystem before you act. When I, uh, I spend my time in my career uh, trying to figure out 
what is going on in markets before I turn to the company I'm consulting with, if that makes sense. What is going on with the transactions of value? And as you and I uh, have spoken back when I was 18 years old and I went into Afghanistan way before the Soviets uh, uh, went into the country, before the Shah uh, was deposed in Iran, I noted that there were multiple tribes and I, I thought this Afghanistan is an artificial construct. Mm-hmm. So, so you weren't fighting a country. Yeah, that's exactly right. And uh, we just think of tr- things in terms of countries. It makes it much easier. Um, but oftentimes we still get confused by that. Uh, but you're exactly right. The tribes is something we don't really understand. I mean, the b- boundary was written by, I think, a, an intoxicated Brit a uh, hundred or so years ago, uh, probably more of them. But uh but those constructs and those borders uh, don't mean the same to the people on the ground there. Uh, And even when we came to realize that we didn't change anything about what we were doing, we're still trying to build up a a central government almost in our own image. Uh, We had all sorts of failed attempts and changes in strategy, which happens in war, but it's usually it's adapting to, uh, to circumstances on the ground and making it and adapting for the better. Uh, because that's certainly what your your enemy is doing. Uh, and we did not. We just had these big ideas like trying to uh, uh, eradicate poppy fields um, so that perhaps the drug trade wouldn't fuel an insurgency that we were creating uh, because we didn't understand the uh, Pashtun Wali and loyalty and what that means when you take someone into your village, into your home in Afghanistan. Uh, so we had misstep asked for misstep by people who could have taken a breath, looked to history and made better decisions for the men and women that were on the ground laying it on the line. And uh, because you have to be so exceptionally clear on what you're doing when you're in wartime conditions, you know, the next step, the next job, everything is a task. It's performed with great training and discipline. Uh, But I started thinking of James Reese again, and here he is. He's been betrayed by his own country. He's um, he's uh, uh, about he is going to die. He knows that. And yet and and yet he has this incredible revenge. He's going to get revenge and he uses all the disciplines, all all the art he is has learned over time uh, to exact revenge. And then. Your entire series is how he moves off that point eventually to encounter something that is near and dear to all of us, and that is purpose. That's right. That's right. Purpose, redemption, and perhaps even a little forgiveness. Um, But when we talk about those skills, it was important to me not just to have him have skills that he learned in the military. Uh, I needed him to use skills that he had learned by studying the enemy because I needed him to essentially become that insurgent, become that terrorist that he'd been fighting for so long on U.S. soil. So I do that by talking about and having him use uh, those tactics, those methods that work so well against us downrange in Iraq and Afghanistan on U.S. soil. And then I also make that point by showing him change physically. His hair gets longer, his beard gets longer. He raids the uh, the armory of his enemy, which is his own armory at this point, uh, to arm himself to go up against uh, the very country that had had created him and betrayed him. So uh, so all those things were, were important. And it was also important that someone could grab this from the shelf and read it without knowing or ever realizing any of those things uh, and just having a good beach read. But for those like you who uh, who want to go a little deeper, there are different levels to it. And, uh, and then also 
also all those quotes that you mentioned earlier and the people that you mentioned earlier. I like to leave a little a sentence here or there for, uh, for those like you who will recognize uh, and appreciate it. Well, you know, it's so interesting and so applicable. Uh, I know everyone wants to just think of it in, in warrior terms, uh, but it's so applicable to life and business, if I may. Uh, for example, here he is, book after book after book, and I'm thinking of you, Jack, I'm thinking of you in 2016, ret so-called retiring, and you, you provide another great quote in uh, one of the books, and you're discussing what it means to leave and need to return, and that Martin Sheen's quote from Apocalypse Now, when I was here, I wanted to be there. When I was there, all I could have uh, all I could uh, think about was getting back into the jungle, uh, kind of like me in uh, semi-retirement here, uh, knowing I have a family, knowing I have a purpose that goes beyond anything I do, but still yearning for that experience that I had when I was younger, whether I was an, a famous athlete, a famous actor, or a famous warrior. That's James Reese as he goes through these four books, and it must have been you. Well, it's uh, we're all going on this journey. We're all on this journey uh, called life. Everyone of us has a slightly different path, and in this country, anyway, uh, we get to we get to choose that path, and we get to make our own decisions and live with the consequences of those decisions, and learn from them, and build upon our failures, um, capitalize on our successes and our momentum. Uh, a lot of countries out there, obviously, do not have uh, those options and opportunities that we do. So I think this character has resonated for a few reasons. One, that the uh, emotions and the feelings behind the things he does comes from a real place. It's not just uh, me as an author talking to a former special operations sniper uh, about what it was like to do that job in Ramadi at the height of the war and then translating that through whatever, filtering it through whatever biases I might have had, whatever, whatever expectations I might have built up from previous interviews or other movies and books. Um, but really, it's going direct from how I felt doing those things and applying them to a fictional narrative, uh, what it was like to get ambushed, uh, that sort of a thing, what it was like to build a target package and track someone with technical means, uh, corroborating that with multiple human sources, uh, what that felt like, not just the doing of it. So I think that it resonated because of that authenticity piece. People recognize that a lot more today, much more than they did 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, certainly. Um, and also because I'm taking him on a journey. It's not just the same character each and every book thrown into a new situation. He's evolving as well, just like we all are or should um, over time. So it's an evolving character. He's learning. He's adapting. He's evolving as a person. He's questioning the decisions that he's made and uh, deciding what uh, he should do in the future, just like all of us are. So I think for those two reasons in particular, uh, the character resonated right off the bat. And I feel extremely fortunate. Well, it's, uh, you know, if we get into the persona of Jack Carr, as evidenced by the books, uh, there's a great line from you in the preface to one of the books. It says, we are the accumulation of our past experiences. How do we channel those experiences and the knowledge we gain from them into wisdom? Of course, Solomon's greatest ask, greatest prayer to his God was to be a man of wisdom. And then later in life, he says that too might just be dust, just might be uh, something that 
is also something we shouldn't strive for. But but be, because you also cite William Shakespeare in the book, what is past as prologue. And by the way, that I'll never forget when I first saw that line, that was in the lobby of McDonnell Douglas, the company that helped send us to the moon, uh, wow. some of the top fighter aircraft. Uh, and I'll never forget that. So with all that said, let me pose the question because it, it was haunting me. An Australian once asked me in a pool in Hawaii, he's trying to pick my brain, the American brain. He goes, what is our greatest threat in the world today? And I said, I think it's the notion that democracy doesn't work. Interesting. Interesting. And, and with authoritarian regimes like Putin, China, North Korea and Iran, and you've been on the ground. Here's, here's James Reese saying, it's in many respects throughout the book, yeah, we have rules, we have mores, but we also have engagement against very nefarious characters in the world where our rules and mores may not work. Did you struggle with that? Well, I'm going to go back to that first uh, that question the guy asked you in the pool and then tie it back into wisdom here because uh, wisdom is a word I don't like to overuse because I think it is so important. So I use it only in times where people like you are going to recognize it. And we think we tend to think in terms of these four-year election cycles, maybe eight-year election cycles for the mm -hmm. real deep thinkers among us. Meanwhile, we have those same authoritarian regimes that you talk about thinking in terms of centuries, uh, at the very least decades, but, uh, but many of them centuries out, long past their four years in office, their eight years in office, uh, their lifetime of 70, 80, 90, whatever years they think that they're going to make it. Um, so the wisdom piece is really what uh, concerns me the most, is not turning our past experience into wisdom and wasting the sacrifice of all those men and women, not just in Iraq and Afghanistan who died or came home with uh, missing limbs or with traumatic brain injury or post-traumatic stress and who are dealing with that, not just for themselves, but for their families. So you're going to have multi-generational impacts of those decisions that senior level leaders made whose families are, for the most part, are not going to have to deal with those same consequences. Um, so it's taking that, the experience of our time there, but also honoring everyone else who has done that from the, from the inception of this country up until today to give us these options, these freedoms, these opportunities, but learning from all those experiences and applying it going forward as wisdom. And that is what we do not do, which is why we keep making the same mistakes over and over, why we essentially fight the same war year after year after year in Afghanistan and Iraq without evolving uh, in the way we need to, to, uh, to do the things that uh, will allow us to, to prevail there. Um, but that wisdom part is what is missing. Um, we're making decisions, but they're, and they're not, we're not taking the lessons uh, and of our time not just Iraq, Afghanistan, like I said, but throughout history and applying them going forward as wisdom. And wisdom is that is that key word right there. You hit exactly, exactly on it. And, you know, when you say when that person asks you about, uh, you know, in the swimming pool asks you that that question, um, you know, it's it's so hard because my 
my fourth book, The Devil's Hand, what I did was put myself in the enemy's shoes. So I thought, hey, if I am Iran, if I am Russia, if I am China, if I am North Korea, if I'm a super empowered individual, if I'm a terrorist organization, what have I learned over these, these past years watching America, watching the United States at war in Iraq and Afghanistan? So I started there, but then COVID hit and then a summer of civil unrest hit, a uh, very contentious election cycle hit. And because I'm in the enemy's shoes, I'm thinking, what is the enemy learning from these things, not just from uh, what we did on the ground in Iraq and Afghanistan? Uh, and my, what I, the conclusion I came to was that if I'm the enemy, I might not need to do too much to defeat the United States right now. I might have to, I might just sit back and watch this play out because we're doing a pretty good job of destroying ourselves from the inside. And uh, then as an author, of course, I have to figure out a way around that. If <laughs> That's my conclusion, uh, which I do. And I'll let, uh, let readers pick up the book and figure out how I did that. But, uh, but for me, that's our, that's our greatest threat is tearing ourselves apart. And one way that we can combat that really is by educating this next generation uh, to what has been sacrificed so that they can have these choices that they do. And uh, I fear that's going to be lost on most of them, but uh, uh, I really think that's the only thing that's going to help us prevail as a country. Without giving away uh, another aspect of the book, but kind of tangential to what you just talked about, you quote a passage um, uh, from a, a pastor is citing a passage at a funeral. I won't say whose, because it might ruin the plot, uh, but it's Isaiah 6, 8, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Here I am. And um, what's interesting about that passage in the context of the whole chapter is uh, Isaiah's realizing that everything's fallen apart. And yet, the Lord is asking, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And of course, he says, here I am, take me. And that, uh, that passage epitomized the warrior spirit. There still may be stuff that's slowly decaying over time that may, could be reconstructed, our democratic ideals, maybe waking the bear uh, as they did in World War II with, the, uh, with uh, the attack on Pearl Harbor. But the point is, we need people like James Reese, who says, here I am. Uh, that, that just seemed to epitomize it all. Is that what you intended? That's it. I heard that. I've heard that line so many times read at funerals of my of my friends um, over the years. And so it obviously it, it stands out and means quite a bit to me. Um, but uh, but yeah, you have this you have this character, James Reese, who is questioning, as uh, probably a lot of people did uh, over the years, as they saw Iraq and Afghanistan continue to deteriorate despite our, quote unquote, best effort efforts and uh, and continued investment of uh blood treasure resources. Uh, so he has, he has asked that all of us have really had to ask that question. And, uh, you know, very few people I know, even if they questioned how things were going at the strategic level, uh, cited that as a reason to leave and get out. Um, we all stayed in the fight as long as we could. And uh, because that was what was asked of us, that's how we're wired. That warrior blood, I think, just flows in, uh, in a lot of us. It probably flows in a lot of people that never listened to that calling because you're only here today, really, because... <laughs> 
that you had an ancestor that was good at the fighting and good at the hunting. Because uh, without those two things, uh, up until very recently in the human experience, uh, you would cease to exist. So, uh, so it flows in all of us. It just takes uh, it, it just takes a different level of uh, of experience to be awakened uh, in in some. But we're all here today because because we had ancestors that were good at those two things. Well, human beings are tool builders. Tool, tools are agnostic. They're not good or evil. So the rifle can be used to hunt for food, and it can be used to hunt the adversary who threatens the community. So you bring that up very well. And of course, you're, you're a student of the most dangerous game, as you cite one of the books, mm -hmm. uh, The Hunter and the Hunted. And uh, you just do an excellent job uh, weaving uh, a number of stories together in your four books. I look forward to your next book in the blood on May 17th, Jack. Thank you so much. Uh, that's so it's, uh, uh, I love that, that, that you've enjoyed the novels. I've certainly, uh, I, other than being a seal writing thrillers was the only thing I wanted to do with my life. So those different quotes and those little nuggets that you're, you're noticing here, it wasn't just cause I woke up one day and decided to be a thriller author or to give it a shot. Um, it's a lifetime of study. So for you to recognize something that, uh, that I read in the sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade high school, or somewhere over the past 20 years. And as a fan, as a reader, essentially as a student of the genre, um, and to find those in there, that, uh, that makes my day. So I sincerely appreciate it. This has been a great conversation with Jack Carr.